Cohen, who's a reporter with Newsmax, reported this week or last week that two ultra-Orthodox members of Prime Minister Netanyahu's coalition in Israel have introduced a bill that would punish believers with prison time for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. United Torah of Judaism Knesset members Moshe Gaffney and Yekob Asher introduced legislation last week making it illegal to share in conversation or produce content online, in print, or by mail. Our explanation of the bill emphasizes a warning to stop Christians in particular. The punishment is one year in prison if you're caught sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ or two years of sharing with someone under the age of 18. This is why Israel's house has been forsaken, as Jesus said. They have rejected their Messiah, who is the Lord Jesus Christ and no other. By and large, Israel still refuses to submit themselves to the goodness of God for them in the Gospel. Paul has been showing that the main reason Israelites are failing to believe the Gospel is not the fault of God's Word or because His electing love is deficient in some way, but because of the stubborn rebelliousness that remains in Israel. So, in our text this morning, Paul continues with the discussion he started back in chapter 9, verses 30 to 33. Last week in chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, he established that the word of the Old Testament Torah, which was near to the Israelites in their heart and in their mind, is the word of the gospel, which raises the question then, if it was near to them, on their, uh, in their heart, on their mouth, why did they, and why does Israel that is contemporary with, or was contemporary with Paul, why have they not believed and confessed and been saved. What is the problem? That's what Paul is talking about here at length. 10, 14 to 21, which we'll look at this morning, takes up this question. Paul's main point is the unbelief of most of the Israelites in his day, in the first century A.D., but he stays to explain it and prove all this within the framework of the Old Testament, giving us as examples the Israelites are giving as examples the Israelites addressed by Moses and Isaiah in the Old Testament and by taking God's word to them as prophecies also about the Jews of Paul's own generation. How does God respond when he moves towards us with mercy and we respond to him with disobedience and rebellion? What is he like then? Let's pray and we'll Look at the passage. Our Father, we ask for your grace this morning. I ask you to be with me. Watch over every part of my preaching, my tone, my content, my delivery. May all of it be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. May you help me to be clear and concise that all may understand. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the word of the risen Christ who reigns over us now, in these moments, you would enable all to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in His name we pray. Amen. I'm going to begin reading at verse 14 of chapter 10. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear 
without someone preaching. Now, what is the root question here? It's why has Israel as a whole not believed unto salvation? So they here, in verse 14, is Israel. To answer those questions in verse 14, um, Paul has to describe a chain of events as to what happens when the gospel is preached. Someone is sent, he preaches. Those to whom he preaches hear, some of them believe. They call upon his name and they are saved. That's how it works when the gospel is preached. The question then for the unbelieving Israelites is, where did that chain break? Right? What, what happened there? Paul's point is that the word of God is not what failed them. The word that was heard when Moses wrote and when Isaiah spoke was Christ. And Christ is speaking whenever his chosen representatives, his prophets or his apostles proclaim that word. So the break in the chain is not in the first three links of verse 14, and it isn't in the fourth link in verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Isaiah 52, 7. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? From us. Isaiah 53, 1. The gospel Paul preaches is the true content and meaning of the whole Old Testament. Paul continues to show us how the Old Testament should be interpreted and the fact that it was interpreted wrongly, deliberately, by the Israelites is the main reason they refuse to believe in mass. In verses 15 and 16, Paul draws from Isaiah 52 and 53, where evangelism is done by these messengers whom God sends, the watchmen, the messengers of good news, the servant of Isaiah 52, 7 and 8. If God does not send a preacher, no one will hear the good news, and there's nothing then that we can do to rescue ourselves. That's what God installs the office of preaching for, the proclamation of the gospel, that people may hear it and believe. God sends preachers to do this. The messengers in Isaiah, we find here, presented the hope of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised up as the inauguration of the kingdom of God, the victory over Satan, and the time of salvation and peace being introduced. But their message, all these messengers talked about for Israel in Isaiah, heard far and wide and astounding to everyone, was not believed at all. Israel had the gospel from Isaiah and did not obey it. That's why Isaiah 53 opens with, who has believed the report that he heard from us? They were proclaiming it. They heard the gospel, but they didn't obey it. Now, how do you obey the gospel, when you hear it, you have faith in Christ. That's obedience to the gospel. That's the obedience of faith that Paul opened this letter telling us he was writing to cause. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's normally what happens when the gospel is preached. Paul says in verse 17 that the message of Isaiah's messengers is the preaching and the hearing of the Word of Christ. Notice that. All the way back in Isaiah. Verse 17 comes in as the conclusion to verses 14 through 16. Israel, however, hears it and doesn't believe it. Why? We find in Hebrews 4, 2, 
that the reason the hearing of the Israelites was of no value to them was that they did not combine their hearing of it with faith. Remember, they wanted to establish their own righteousness. So when the word of Christ is coming out saying, you must have faith in me in order to be righteous, you must be rescued by my suffering servant whose blood will be shed for the transgressions of so many, right? They said, no, we, we, we want to become righteous on our own. We want to attain to God's righteousness in our own way and by our own effort according to the law. But this word isn't simply the word about Christ. It is the word of Christ. The word He Himself is speaking through His commissioned messengers and is also recorded in the books of the Old Testament and New Testaments and has the power to create new ears in the people who hear it. Verse 18. So he picks it up again. Right? If faith comes through hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Verse 18. But I ask, Paul says, have they not heard? Is that the problem? Answering verse 14. So Israel didn't hear then. Since faith comes by hearing, Paul says, no, they absolutely did hear. Indeed they have, he says in verse 18. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now this is... This is an astounding use, okay, of the Old Testament. Of all the verses that Paul could have cited to prove that the message of Christ, the word of Christ, has been proclaimed to the ends of the earth, like just move down a little bit where he already is in Isaiah 52 and go down to 52.10. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. You could say that, and yet he doesn't quote anything like that. He cites Psalm 19 verse 4 which is a psalm that's usually connected with natural revelation of God's glory in creation a wordless message from nature Paul takes the words of the messengers and applies Psalm 19 4 to their message now let's go back if you want to turn there you can I'm going to read it for you. Psalm 19. And let me read this psalm to you. So to prove that God, that the word of Christ has been proclaimed to the ends of the earth and has been made known in some way that it should be believed upon. This is what Paul cites to prove that. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That's what he quotes directly. And then he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now that's a... Note that transition in the flow of the psalm. I thought we were talking about creation. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. 
Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Again, this is very strange. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. So, don't let me sin willingly and don't let me sin presumptuously. I don't even know what's wrong with me. He's right. Who can discern their own errors? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He goes from the sky and the clouds and the heavens and the mountains to repentance. The glory of God in creation is so vast and so overwhelming and clear and beautiful. This is why one of the first things the adversary does in the world to create unbelief and resistance to God is is doubt that He made everything. Because it's so beautiful and vast and overwhelming and glorious that it might be saying things that are obvious, by the way, even to children who know that things don't come from nothing. And if you say, well, the source of everything is the Big Bang, are you saying that there was nothing and it exploded? It's so vast and overwhelming and clear and beautiful that the psalmist moves from contemplation on creation, which moves his heart towards the God who made all things, who he recognizes in the middle part of the psalm is holy and glorious, and it ends with repentance. Confession of sin. Asking to be forgiven. He is struck by the majesty and the goodness of God, which is evident in His creation. The glory of God that Israel did see, and did hear, and did know, from the beauty of creation, ought to have moved them when they heard the word of Christ verbally to repent and be reconciled to God. Listen again to David in verses 12 through 14 of Psalm 19. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart where belief is made. And profession, confession comes out. As Paul has been talking about here. Let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. David knew from God's majesty in creation some things about God that he deduced. That God is good. He's vast and incomprehensible and majestic. And He will hear the prayer of faith. For the forgiveness of sins. Israel had what David had. And the confirming witness verbally of Moses and Isaiah. And they rejected it. Verse 19 of Romans 10. But I ask. So Paul is asking again. Did Israel not understand? And understand really stands in here for hearing. But was the news proclaimed within their earshot? Did they, did they not have a chance to think through all of it? The response to this question 
comes from two more quotations in the Old Testament. One from Moses in verse 19, and then from Isaiah in verse 20. So here in the middle of verse 19, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. So we're answering a question. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, so here's the first response to that. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Now he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, 21, which we are now meant to understand as revealing all the way back then a very important aspect of how God's plan for the world was going to unfold. In light of God's covenant grace for Israel and their apostasy, namely in worshiping the golden calf, the Lord, the Father who created them in Deuteronomy 32, is going to make Israel jealous by bringing His blessing to Gentiles. What we're reading here is that the Holy Spirit has given it to Paul to understand that this verse in Deuteronomy 32.21 was a prophecy of his very own day, of Paul's day, of what would be happening in the time of Paul. Already described in 9.30 and 31 and in 10 verse 3, that Israelites are not believing while Gentiles are and therefore are benefiting from God's gracious gifts while unbelieving Israel is condemned. It was always God's plan to turn the tables on Israel for their unbelief. And this word of prophecy from the Pentateuch, from one of the first five books of the Bible, will also be confirmed in both aspects by a passage from the prophets now, in verses 20 and 21. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Isaiah 65, 1. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Isaiah 65, 2. Even though Israel was being faithless and not calling on the name of the Lord, God had still placed His name on them. They were called by His name. No Gentile nation had ever been called by God's name. And yet, it is not the, the faithless Israelites, because they're Israelites, but it is the Gentile nations that have found God and are those to whom God is showing Himself in these days. Those without the revelation and the blessings only Israel was privileged to have. Now, generally speaking, the words of Isaiah are God's address to Israel. But Paul shows that a shift has taken place between Isaiah 65, 1 and 2. Those not seeking me and those not inquiring of me refer to Gentiles, while the disobedient and contrary people are the Israelites. They're contrary, he says. They refuse to be convinced to believe what they're hearing. This was the exact reason. So many Israelites were condemned in both the time of Isaiah and now in the time of Paul. Israel understood. They heard. They disobeyed. They did not have faith and instead pursued their own righteousness by trying to keep the law. That's how they heard the law. Rather than hearing the Word of God, that what I'm trying to show you is that you're going to need to live by faith because you can't keep my law. They heard that. They got it. It was near to them. They rejected it because they said, no, I want to earn my own righteousness, which is still happening today. They argued with the truth. Beloved, listen, 
I don't know what your everybody's view of the end times is and the way God is working in the world, but Israel needs missionaries. Israel needs missionaries. There, there's not a two-plan way for them to be grandfathered in even though they didn't believe in Christ. That, that's, that's demeaning to Christ and the cross. Only faith, only faith attains God's righteousness. Faith in Christ. And faith comes from hearing, from believing the word of Christ. May Israel hear the gospel and be saved. God's revelation to and blessing of natural Israel, all their advantages and their astonishing rejection in light of it, serves to prove to us now and to the world that we are so corrupt and sinful to our very core, we are completely unable to see our need or to turn and have faith. We're given this gracious, beautiful, amazing, almost too good to be true offer, and we reject it. It just can't be that you receive forgiveness and are granted righteousness for free on the back of the innocent Christ. It can't be that way. I want to honor God, so I'm going to say, I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to earn my own righteousness. And we do that even as Christians, that Jesus got us to the starting point. It's up to us to get to the finish line. It's the same denial of the necessity of faith for righteousness. And it's Christless and it's crossless. And it demeans God. The more zealous we are, remember, to make ourselves righteous, the more we are blaspheming God and His Son, Christ, whom He sent. God must awaken us and save us by the proclamation of the gospel, which alone has the power to bring the dead and unbelieving to life and faith. Now, we may be tempted in light of all this to feel like we're a little better than Israel if we've believed. Or that maybe we're a little bit more honest and enlightened than they are. Because we haven't refused. And so we might want to look down on them. And say, what's, what's your problem? Why are you so ungrateful? How could you not see that that was the Messiah? I see it very clearly, right? How could you have crucified him? Paul actually anticipates that. He's going to address it head on. In chapter 11. But, but the question has raised, and so we'll look at it in a preliminary way here. Before we would be so foolish or arrogant this morning as to look down on Israel, let's go back and read verse 21 one more time. Okay? But of Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient, and contrary people. I don't read any difference between Israel and me when I read those words. I am disobedient. I am contrary. How does God respond when He moves with mercy and we respond? with disobedience and rebellion, He holds out His hands to us and to Israel, which He is doing 
right now. We are sinners. We are not living up to the light that we have if we're Christians. And if we aren't, whatever we're using, whatever we're depending on, whatever we're relying on to make us righteous, and if there is a God, maybe uh, gain us His favor. If it isn't faith in who Christ is and what Christ has done, it does not save Your sins will not be forgiven. You will not have the righteousness you need to stand before God Almighty. God holds out His hands to disobedient and contrary people. That word is amazing in light of who God is. Just think of Psalm 19 and God's overwhelming majesty. And we have the nerve to be contrary Right, just I, I've probably used this example before, but just imagine your children telling you at say age five, um, "You're not my mom and dad. I made myself." Right, and I I appreciate that you try to give me rules and guidelines, but I'm not going to bed at eight. How about that? And you will buy me the toys I want, or I will scream. And make you look like a villain for finally breaking and smacking me in my forehead. Right? I've never smacked my kids in the forehead at a store. That's not what I mean. But you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, you love it. We do this to God. We do this to God. We act like He has to, to prove something to us. He has, and He didn't have to. He tells us how to live, we disobey. He tells us the truth, we disagree. He reveals His will for us in His Word, we question it. We refuse to do it. We make excuses for it. He makes clear what He desires of us, we get stubborn and we become rebellious and we refuse to submit to Him. Over years and years and years, it all just compounds and builds up. Two steps forward, five steps back. Three steps forward, one step back. It just... We are all disobedient and contrary people. None of us is above Israel. We are just like Israel. May God have mercy on them and save them. God bless them with these advantages. All this revelation to show us, to show the world for all time, how great the fall into sin actually is. And all the effects it's had on us. We could have all that and we will still say no to Him. We could have been on the shores of the Red Sea and saw them part and walked through on dry land with walls of water on either side of us and still get to the other side and complain, this is who we are. We need a Savior. God could give us all the advantages and privileges. We'd squander them, ignore them, refuse to do them, complain about them, resist them, And then complain that God isn't good or will question His faithfulness or His power. God has not abandoned Israel. God loves Israel and desires that they would be saved and grafted back into the one true vine. And this God is holding out His hands to you today. To you and to me. Every single last one of us disobedient and contrary people. Jesus is beckoning and calling you. 
to receive the full forgiveness of all your sins. Christian, to believe that it's true. And the credit of all His righteousness. And Christians, to believe it is true. Even now, even though right now you are resisting Him and maybe trying to excuse yourself or explain yourself, but behold the faithfulness and the glory and the majesty of God. Look at the trees. Look at the hills. Look at the mountains. Look at the oceans and the rivers and valleys and all the birds and the animals and the stars and the planets. Just look. One God made all these things by the word of His mouth. Jesus Christ Himself. Isaiah tells us that God measures the breadth of the universe between His index finger and His thumb if you want to get an anthropomorphism of His vast majesty and glory. Yes, God is big. Yes, God is often confusing. Yes, God is hard to understand. Yes, Without Christ, He's too glorious to even approach and live. But He is full of mercy and love for sinners. You have heard the Word of Christ. Crucified for sinners. Here with faith. That's the response. How, how does this God become my Savior? You receive as true what I am telling you about Jesus. This will make you want to repent of all your sins and all your guilt. And He will wash it all away. And it will never in God's court be used against you ever again. No matter how loud the accuser or the law might roar. God's sovereign hands are stretched out to you this morning.